RadioInfluence.com. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. Well, howdy, we are back and we're ready for another edition of the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to underdogs. It is time for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. It is time to conclude the college football season. It is time to talk some dogs in Three Dog Thursday. Woof, woof. Here we are, and we say hello once again to our uh, our expert, our senior handicapper and writer from VegasInsider.com. Mr. Kevin Rogers is back with me. Good to be with you. A perfect week for you and me. We combined three for three on the underdog selections last week. Good to have you. Lots of football here once again. How are things? Things are well, and uh, yeah, it's very helpful when every underdog covers in the NFL, so that's always a good thing, and you saw the underdog covered in the national championship, which we didn't have. Yep. But, uh, yes, it, oh, it does work out very well when all the underdogs just decide to cover for the weekend. Very true, because we could not have gone wrong with the football predictions last week. Hey, just as a quick comment, what do you make of that? That uh, in the NFL, the underdogs have been doing exceptionally well down the stretch of the season, and all four of them win last week. It was only the third time, by the way, uh, since... Uh, I believe 2000 that at least three underdogs covered slash won the game. Uh, how about that? So what do you, what do we make of the barrage of underdogs here recently? It just goes to show it's a very level playing field. I think that's just what it proves that besides that Eagles bears game, the other three games had a closing line of three or less. And, you know, they all were pretty much toss-ups. And that's why it really wasn't a surprise how, you know, they all finished where, you know, it wasn't overwhelming with any favorites, uh, you know, winning by a big margin. I mean, of all of them was the Colts, you know, was the biggest margin of all of them against the Texans in that first game on Saturday. But, you know, the Bears had a shot to cover if they would have converted that, that two-point conversion. It would have been up 17-10 to 10 late in that game obviously notwithstanding if Philadelphia would have gone down and scored, but it just goes to show that, that, that there's a lot more, I guess, uh, an even playing field in the NFL. And even going into this week, it still is the same thing where really you can make a case for everyone, which is a good thing. I mean, it doesn't make it easy, but it's a good thing because in the past, you know, used to have two touchdown favorites in this round and, and you don't have that now. Well, and uh, we kind of talked about that. We'll get to the college here in a second, that the two college semifinals were so one-sided, double-digit favorites in both Alabama and Clemson covered, but the NFL just different in terms of, of evenness, of parity, whatever you want to call it, how good teams are with talented players. So uh, more on that a little bit later on in the playoff weekend. want to tell you that still uh, to join us here in a little bit before we get to the NFL predictions, we are looking forward to having the voice of the Dallas Cowboys on the radio. Brad Sham has been 
uh, the play-by-play man on the mic for over four decades in Dallas. I look forward to talking with him about the Cowboys. How about them Cowboys taking on the L.A. Rams at the Coliseum? And I'm going to have a fun story with him about childhood memory and the Cowboys and the Rams and the L.A. Coliseum. And now here we are in a playoff game. Now here we are back to the future over 40 years later. We've got the same thing. Yeah, they renovated the Coliseum. We've got the same thing uh, coming up with the Cowboys and the Rams. So I look forward to hearing from him and talking lots of pro football with him. Let's put the college season to bed. And boy, did Clemson put Alabama to sleep the other night with a 44-16 to whipping over uh, over Alabama in the championship game. Um, or actually, a 40-16 to whipping. I gave him four more points. The, the largest blowout of a Nick Saban team ever at Alabama – Really wiped out in the second half. Alabama failing to score in the second half of this game. So, Kevin, neither you nor I took Clemson as the underdog. We both believed that Alabama would be in, in good shape in this game. And yet Clemson not only won, they poured it on them. What are your thoughts having watched the title game on Monday night? Well, obviously Alabama you know, falling behind with that pick six right out of the gate was a killer, even though Alabama struck back to had that long touchdown pass and, and they still took the lead. But uh, Clemson really felt good about themselves. And this is a team that, that proved that they can compete with Alabama by winning two of the last three national championships and hanging around in the first one uh, in Arizona a few years ago. But, you know, this, this just dispels the theory of, well, the ACC wasn't strong, didn't matter. Clemson's the strongest team, didn't matter who they would play. And you know what, even with Alabama, does it show that the SEC is great or not great? No, it just shows that the two best teams in the country played and one team beat the other. And I think the problem is that Clemson winning this game, no one's saying the ACC is great. But if Alabama wins, the SEC reigns supreme. So it always goes that direction with the argument as opposed to being like, well, you know what, Alabama's just a great team or Clemson's just a great team. And we, unfortunately, it's like with the Bulls, you know, ex-conference went one and five in the Bulls, so they stink, or ex-conference went eight and one in the Bulls, so they're great. It just doesn't matter. We put too much stock. Really, it was just the top two teams in the country, and this is what happened. And, you know, the, the questions are, you know, if Georgia was in the, in the top four, what would they have done against Clemson? But you know what? They didn't take care of their business. So we can never answer That's right. that question. That's right. Well, and there's a, there's a couple of things that we come back to. I mean, one of them, familiarity. And we talked about this on the show. These two programs, very familiar with each other. Fourth straight year they met in the college football playoff. Uh, so that I mean, there were not going to be a lot of surprises. I thought it was interesting that Nick Saban admitted at halftime of the game and even after the game in the postgame that Clemson hit them with some things they weren't expecting necessarily, which I don't know how that can be when you've when you've played them three previous times and you've watched so much tape. I mean, I guess there could be an occasional look or formation you might not expect. They hadn't played head-to-head against Trevor Lawrence because he's a true freshman, but I don't know how you come into that uh, press conference and say there were things that we were not expecting. Um, and Brent Venables had the defense uh, rolling with the different blitzes. He had Al- Alabama off-balance the whole second half. He had Tua Tonga-Vailoa off-balance for, for a lot of that game, including the opening interception, but especially in the second half with the blitzes from the different directions, that, that made a large difference in the game. I, I think 
Uh, it's 100% accurate to say that Dabo Sweeney and Brent Venables outcoached Nick Saban and his staff, especially with the halftime adjustments in the second half. Because the game, you're feeling, Kevin, the game had the feel that it was maybe going to be in the high 30s or the low 40s. Whoever has the ball last wins again, like the previous two championship game matchups. Well, Clemson kept scoring that way. Alabama did not in the game. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody watching that game thought that this was going to be a shootout going back and forth and back and forth. But, uh, you know, Alabama's offense just, just shut down, and you got to give all the credit to Clemson. You know, the way they played, you know, this isn't about Alabama losing the game. It's about Clemson winning it. And Clemson played, you know, their best game probably – I mean, in the last few years, I think it's fair to say, you know, but just because of who they played against and totally dominating their last two opponents in this college football playoff. I mean, even Oklahoma hung with Alabama. They came back, made it a game. Notre Dame never made it a game against Clemson. And this is a Clemson team that, you know, really had, what, one game this year against Texas A&M that was competitive, and the rest, they just destroyed them. Yep. They destroyed the competition, where Alabama, you know, they, you know, and again, I, I, again, the whole ACC SEC thing. The Clemson, Clemson doesn't have the same competition Alabama does. I get that, but Alabama fell down two touchdowns to Georgia. They fell down two touchdowns to Clemson. Like, you know, that still you can't be doing that. Clemson didn't do that this year. They pretty much were ahead pretty much the whole year, and uh, and it showed, and this is why they're champions. All right, so let's go over a couple of different parts of this. It's the lowest-rated college football playoff championship game of the five so far. Now, there's two factors for that. The first one is, again, this is the fourth year in a row these teams met. We discussed this on Three Dog Thursday last week, Kevin. How much interest would there be Northeast, Upper Midwest, in the West, in these teams when there's not an Ohio State, there's not a Big 12, much less a Pac-12 team that's in there? The second thing is the whole second half of the game became a laugher. The last hour of the game was more of a coronation uh, than it was a close game uh, in this championship game. So... Uh, you know, the last three were nail biters. Of course, the one a year ago was an overtime game with Alabama and Georgia. So you're not comparing the same thing in terms of an exciting finish. Do, th- do those television numbers suggest to you that America is over this matchup and does not care the same way I- any longer? What is it? What does it suggest to you? It doesn't. I, I think it's you did a good game, and I think if you had a really good game and you had a good finish then I think that you get the numbers. And unfortunately, just with college sports, the NFL is, is a special thing. Because the NFL, you could have the Super Bowl have any two teams in it. And yeah, you get better numbers with the Cowboys or the Steelers. But you have any two teams, you're still getting 90 million people watching. It's an event. You know? So it doesn't even matter who's in it. Where this, I think on, on a similar end, I don't think it matters who's in it just because you're never going to get nationwide approval right. because only Ohio State people want to see Ohio State. Only USC people want to see USC or Texas or any of those other schools. You know, if your team is out of it, you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan, what do you care about Alabama Clemson? But if you're a, you know, if you're a Clemson fan, you're not in it and Notre Dame's in it, what do you care about watching it? So I just think that it's just, you have so many teams that it's so narrow the reach that it's hard unless you're a fan of that team or if you're interested in that conference that you really care that I think if you had Notre Dame and Oklahoma in the championship instead of Alabama and Clemson, I still think the ratings would be the same. The only difference is you need a great game. Notre Dame, right, right. 
Notre Dame but might have made Georgia a difference. Georgia went to overtime. Right, right, so right. That's why it was so exciting. Notre Dame might have made a difference in this case, just drawing in more of the Midwest. But I feel you, and, and here's the larger point. You can't guarantee the uh, the different national programs being in this game on a rotating basis and that's what Alabama and Clemson have proved for example I was just thinking this when you were saying that the anniversary was just a day or two ago at the time we're taping uh, of that epic uh, USC Texas game that had Vince Young for Texas Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush in it for USC Pete Carroll Mac Brown the games in the Rose Bowl they <laughs> built it up it had a, it had a massive rating you can't replicate that every year, not even maybe every two or three years. Uh, when Alabama played Notre Dame in the, in the what was it, 2012 BCS championship game, again, they blew them out, but it still had massive attention, massive rating because it was Notre Dame. You can't, you can't guarantee that. You, you, know, you, would love, you would love to think that Penn State, you know, tradition-rich Penn State, and Texas, and Ohio State, and Alabama, and USC, and Notre Dame, all the brand names would rotate in and around this thing. Throw in the Florida Gators. Throw in your Florida State Seminoles uh, as you're a Knoll. Throw in the Oregon Ducks. That it would somehow rotate. You can't guarantee that. It is not the NFL. It is not the same thing. So you, my point is, you possibly could end up next year. I don't know. Pick a couple of them that have been good as of late. Maybe you end up with Georgia and Texas again, like the Sugar Bowl as your championship game. And I don't know that that will have a 14 rating. A 14 television rating is what the game the other night got. I don't know that a Georgia Texas gets a 14 rating next year, like Alabama and Clemson did, Kevin. Yeah, but also you go back to the USC Texas game, and there's a couple factors there. Number one. Kyler Murray is not a star. He had a really good season, but he's not a star. Reggie Bush was a star in college. Matt Leinart was a star. Vince Young was a star. Those were guys that you wanted to see right. that were just that were that were uh, skill position players that you really cared about. Tua, because of his name, seriously, that's what it is. If his name was was John Smith, it wouldn't be the same thing. He's got a unique name. And, and, you know, he's a very good player. I'm not taking away from him, but I'm saying he's got a unique name, and people are drawn to that, all right? These other guys, those were high-level college football stars with those teams for several years, so it kind of built up. It was like the Christian Leitners, you know, with Duke years right. ago, where he was there for a few years where you knew who he was. Suppose these guys in college would kind of pop up, and they're gone after a year or two. But also, it was a great game. If Texas USC wasn't a good game, you just have a lot of stars in it. But you had a lot of stars, and it was a great game. That's why it was so epic. That that's what you need. You need the star power. But also, and I know it's hard every year to get a good game. You can't. It's just you don't know what you're going to get. But you can get Florida State and Auburn a few years ago. Great game. You know, people are watching that. But if the game stinks and it's a blowout, doesn't matter who's in it because everyone's going to turn it off. Yeah, it's a good point that you make, too, because the Florida State win over Auburn in the Rose Bowl in the final BCS championship game was five years ago. Jameis Winston throwing the game-winning touchdown pass in the final minute and a half of that game. And again, the rating was right around the the same number, right around a 14 rating, something like that, as this college football playoff. Because, again, that's two teams from the South that were playing in the championship game. 
Um, it, it is. It, it's just not. It is not the same as the NFL uh, in that regard. Interesting that you that you mention another one on this college football playoff here on Three Dog Thursday. Uh, before we put it to bed, that we go into the game. Tua Tonga Vailoa had an amazing year. They were dominant. He he looked as lethal as any quarterback. I believe he deserved the Heisman Trophy. I will go to my grave and tell you that in 2018 he had the best season in the best conference. So all the hype was, well, what a shame that Tua's not going to be able to go to the NFL. NFL after this game well as it turns out Brent Venables that Clemson defense the aggressive defensive line all the sacks they made him look pretty ordinary Kevin I think that's fair he looked like especially in the second half he looked like an ordinary quarterback and guess what that's what the NFL is going to be game in and game out uh, week in and week out Uh, and then isn't it interesting that now they're saying the same thing about Trevor Lawrence uh, and the way that he played, only a true freshman still got to wait two years before he would be available in the NFL. Now everybody's saying the same thing about Lawrence with the way that he played on the big stage. What do you make of that uh, that whole quarterback reversal thing? That Now everybody's talking about Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback, the same way we were talking about Tua before the game. Uh, I mean, look, he deserves it. He played well. But also, you know, you look at the NFL, and even if he waited another year, and he was there. Look at all these quarterbacks that were really great in college, and they still have their struggles early. Because guess what? You're not going to go to the Patriots out of the gate. You're not going to go to the Steelers. You're not going to go to a ready-made team. You're going to be Josh Rosen going to the Cardinals, (laughs) where you can't do anything. You're going to go to the Jets, like Sam Darnold, and have your struggles. You're going to be Baker Mayfield, go to the Browns, and yeah, they improved a lot this year. But how many of those quarterbacks went to the playoffs? Well, Lamar Jackson, but that was halfway through the season that he started for them. So he didn't start the entire year. So, you know, you have these guys that, yeah, great college careers, but reality does set in when you go to the NFL. Let's say they're not going to be good eventually, but, you know, you're going to struggle now. Wait until you play the NFL. Wait until you play bad teams in the NFL. They'll destroy you. I mean, you're playing the best college team that's destroying you. Um, oh, I can, you know – Maybe if I go to the NFL and not play great, it doesn't matter. You're getting destroyed in any of those games. It's just going to happen. And look at Cardell Jones as the example. We mentioned that name here on Three Dog Thursday a couple of weeks ago that he played so brilliantly in that 2014 college football playoff at the helm of Ohio State, played well in the Big Ten championship game, played uh, played great in the Sugar Bowl win over Alabama. You know, people were saying Monday night, boy, a Nick Saban team's never been beaten like this before. I know by final margin that was the case. Uh, go back and watch that Sugar Bowl of 2014 where Alabama led 21-3 to and then Ohio State outscored them 36-7 to after that to wipe them out and put them behind by 21 points uh, in that game or 18 points or whatever it was that Alabama got a late touchdown like in the final minute to dress the final score up some. Uh, they got wiped out that night in the Sugar Bowl. And Cardell Jones looked great. And then the championship game against Oregon, he looked great again. And everybody got all hyped up about draft him early. He's a first-round pick. How much? To your point, how much have you heard about Cardell Jones in the NFL? After It is a totally different animal to take the next step, go to the pros, and be able to do it against 26, 28, 29, 30-year-old veteran, humongous, biggest, fastest, best defenders that are everywhere all over pro football. So I think it's a fun conversation piece about Trevor Lawrence. Let's see him do it again next year. He'll, he'll be the front runner for the Heisman. Uh, interesting that Tua's in that mix, too, for the Heisman. 
Uh, we will find out. Uh, okay, quickly, uh, we'll continue with the college football conversation in just a second. Three Dog Thursday, a reminder, will brought to you in part by Paradise Golf. Get yourself the Paradise Winter Golf Card right now. We're in the golf season. We're in Florida. You're in the cold. You're freezing to death. If you're coming to Florida, whether it's to just get out of the cold for a few days or to be a snowbird, go to paradise-golf.com slash football. That's our landing page. We want you to visit paradise-golf.com slash football. Find out how you can get the Paradise Card for half off, a $55 savings, half off the price of a Paradise Card just by going to that landing page and acting on it. You will play over 60 of the premier courses in West Central and Central Florida all over the place uh, at Paradise Golf's uh, different partner golf courses, some of the premier courses, exclusive clubs, etc. Paradise-golf.com slash football is the site. Sign up and save with Paradise Golf and go to that website uh, now. Uh, One more here on this, Kevin, before uh, we put it all to bed. I mean, there are a couple more observations. One, did you catch Nick Saban crediting the media after the game was over with? He was thanking the media in the wee hours of the morning in Santa Clara, California, for what they do to cover college football and hype everything up. This is the same Nick Saban that is like anti-media during every season for praising his team. I, I think some were wondering, is uh, I mean, drug testing here? Uh, what's going, Is this a hostage video where he's under duress and he's saying this? On, how, what do you make of that? Nick Saban, Nick Saban saying thank you to the media. That's nice, you know. It's uh, I, I guess uh, well, they say a broken clock works twice a day. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's saving. Sometimes, uh, sometimes he can be nice. You know, it's he didn't seem as upset. I feel like watching most, like he was more upset in the Oklahoma game. You see him yelling and screaming right. at those guys more in the Oklahoma. I feel like he wasn't as upset. Not to say that like he was happy they lost, but. You know, he didn't seem like his same self on the sidelines, which is good. Because what a, what about, to your point, after the fake field goal, which I think all of America is still wondering, even if you're faking the field goal, what was that fake with the kicker as the lead blocker and running into the line with the holder? His reaction after that was the same thing. It was like a weird thing, almost like, okay, whatever, you know, we're going to get beat. It was not screaming, ranting. I agree with you. That was very strange after the fake field goal, right? Yeah, well, also the missed extra point, you know, I thought he'd be a little more upset after that, and he wasn't. He was doing the old, well, we're going to clap and everything is fine. And it's like, <laughs> well, it's really, I mean, I understand that one point didn't mean much, but, you know, you thought he would have gotten in the kicker's ear about that, but, you know, he just seemed not as, uh, I don't know, it, it, he just didn't seem as, as, as his normal self. No, he did not. Uh, okay, one more on this, too. Some are saying that Clemson has now surpassed Alabama in terms of the dynasty team, the team to beat, you can make the argument that's two championships in the last three years, three times in the final game out of the last four years, in the college football playoff all of the last four years, two wins head-to-head for Clemson over Alabama. Do you buy that, Kevin Rogers, Vegas Insider? Do I buy their, their, uh, a dynasty? No. I mean, they've had a good run. and I'm not, I'm not saying that they're a fluke. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they're not a dynasty, but, you know, They've gone as far as Alabama's gone. You know, they're not the only team. Like, the Patriots were a dynasty because they did against all these different teams. I mean, it's just, we keep getting the same two teams beating each other up, you know. So, I'm going to go with no on that one because, you know, Clemson has won the championship twice, but Alabama has beaten them twice. So, you know, even though one of them was not in the championship, so it's 2-2, you know, for four years. And, yeah, it's like the same with the Celtics and Lakers. They, they had... They shared, I guess, a sense they were the teams to beat in the NBA in the 80s, but, you know, really 
what dynasty is there where one team's got three championships and one's got two? Like, it's not really a dynasty, at least in my opinion. Well, I and mean, remember for so many years in that Celtics-Lakers rivalry, 70s and 80s, the Lakers could never beat the Celtics. At least Clemson has done that. And Alabama, right. well, yeah, by the way, sure, yes. I know your point. And Alabama has five championships, five. Clemson with two. I'm talking about five under Nick Saban, two now with Dabo Sweeney. Um, and, and look, again, full credit to him. They, they were the best team, and they clocked Alabama uh, you'll chuckle at this, too. I mean, Alabama realized what it's like to play Alabama on Monday night in Santa Clara because Clemson looked like they had 15 guys on the field on defense at times all over them. They swarmed them. They blew them out. Again, credit Sweeney in the way that he's recruited. His staff's recruited. Brent Venable's coaching the defense. They keep coming up with different quarterbacks uh, to run that offense. So they deserve a lot of credit, and uh, and we'll see. Again, I- I'm more anxious to see will some of these other programs come up, the brand-name programs come up and challenge for this. Can can Harbaugh ever get Michigan over the hump? Will Ryan Day, the Ohio State coach, keep them at the highest level? Will USC ever be what USC was earlier? I mean, here's one more, because you're in South Florida with those Miami Hurricane teams. All right, remember those Miami Hurricane teams, not just in the late 80s under Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson, but even in the early 2000s under Butch Davis. It seemed like they were unbeatable. Remember, they crushed Nebraska in the BCS championship game, and they they rolled along there for about three seasons, uh, seemingly unbeatable. USC, after that, had about a three- or four-year run. We talked about with Leonard and Bush. They seemed unbeatable. You need different teams in different parts of the country, USC, Texas, uh, et cetera, Penn State, Ohio State. I know I went down the list before. Notre Dame, Florida Gators, Florida State. You want all these programs, the brand-name programs, to be great again, and then I think it will heighten the interest for college football. One more time, Kevin. Final thought? Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, I, I think people want a variety of matchups, but also when Alabama and Clemson are so overwhelming, you know, and better than everyone else, you know, it's nice to have that game. You just wish you would have had a better game. And if you would have had a 37-34 game, regardless of who won, it would have been more to talk about. But when Clemson just destroys them, you kind of say, wow, that game wasn't that fun. It was not. By the way, Alabama has been favored now four straight years of the championship game, failed to cover in all of them. Talk about... Bow wow and underdogs. Uh, that is that's uh, fascinating. So there you go with the college football season being put to bed uh, in terms of Clemson and their college football playoff championship win. It'll be on to 2019 before we know it in a few months. Getting ready for the college football season of 2019. All right, Kevin, stand by. We've got underdog predictions coming up. It was a three for three week for you and me last week on Three Dog Thursday in the wild card round. Divisional playoff round predictions coming with him a little bit later on in the show. It is. The only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs. We are Three Dog Thursday, and we'll be back. As advertised, this is one of my faves. I love getting to talk to these guys. It's always a pleasure to be around and to hear from the voice of the Dallas Cowboys, Brad Sham, who, uh, listen, it was a thrill to get to be around you again a couple of weeks ago for the Bucks and the Cowboys in the regular season. I know you're getting ready to call Cowboys and Rams in the NFC Divisional Round of the Playoffs. How are you? Happy New Year, my friend. Thank you. I'm great. Good to 
talk to you again, TJ, and Happy New Year to you. Yeah. Um, you know, as I, as I often mention uh, to young broadcasters that are coming up, what do I know? Listen to guys like this, the guy that I work with, Gene Deckerhoff, uh, who does the Buccaneers and the Florida State games. And whether you're talking about Al Michaels calling football on TV, a colleague of, of yours, uh, a contemporary of yours, Marty Brenneman calling baseball on the radio, you guys... You are phenomenal at making it seem so easy the way you describe a game, almost effortless. The, the, the analogy I use is you watch an NBA game and everybody dunks all the time and you think, okay, it must be easy to dunk a ball. It's not as easy as this man makes it or Gene makes it or Marty Brenneman or Al Michaels makes it. So I always love saying that to you. You deserve it. Keep up, uh, keep up the great work calling those Cowboys games. It's been a great season and a great playoff win last weekend, sir. Yeah, th- thank you. It's, uh, it helps when it's so much fun. And um, and it has been a really interesting season. It started with uh, mixed to average expectations, went right straight south to about Guatemala. <laughs> and uh, at mid-season, uh, they were having a run on shovels in Dallas-Fort Worth because everybody wanted to bury them. And uh, they made a couple changes, and uh, a young team grew up. And things turned around, and now they're pretty good. Yeah, there's no doubt that things began to click. I think a lot of people look at that Thursday night win over the Saints, and what a difference in a a space age of NFL offense, what a refreshing difference that night was, because it was like 1970s, 1980s NFL in a low-scoring defensive game. But I think a lot of the fans will point back to that game and say, boy, the Cowboys demonstrated they could hold the Saints down and win a low-scoring game, and it helped bolster their playoff chances, right? So there's no question that that was part of the continuum, and uh, you can argue that it was the high point because of how good the Saints are and how well they were playing at that point, and to be able to hold them to uh, 10 points, and it's unheard of. And, uh, you know, only score 13 yourself and win a game, that's kind of what their story has been throughout much of the year when they played the Bucks. I think they had a they had an in-character and their only return touchdown of the year. And uh, they got some help from their defense. Uh, but to me, now this is just me, and I'm like Gene, I've been doing this a long time. The, the Chiefs-Rams game that everyone went gaga about on a Monday night, I guess, mm-hmm. that, that was one of the least enjoyable games I've watched all year. Uh, I like football. And that was a video game. And... Uh, you know what the Bears play, and what the what the Chargers play, and uh, what the Cowboys are playing now. That's football, and they're playing pretty well. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt about that. All right, so it's interesting. A couple of different stories around the L.A. Coliseum. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys come back to the L.A. Coliseum, where really. Uh, the you know Star is Born is kind of the cliche thing. The movie's up for the uh, all the awards, the Golden Globes and the Academy Awards. But his star, his Cowboys star, was really born in a preseason game at the Coliseum where he began to show, and it was a nationally televised game, if I recall, on ESPN in the preseason. He began to show, for whatever it's worth in the preseason, he had some acumen, some ability, and it has grown from there. What Reflect for me, going back to that preseason game and moving forward, where we began to see Dak Prescott against the Rams at the Coliseum in a preseason game. That game was the first game of the preseason, and then went to training camp. Of course, Tony Romo was the quarterback. Captain Moore, who is now the quarterback's coach, 
was the backup quarterback, and Dak was he went to camp in a for the third quarterback job, and for the first couple weeks, the showers might have been ahead, and uh, then they got into a, a camp scrimmage, and uh, uh, Dak turns out to be one of those guys who's a much better game player than a practice player about a week or two before that game in the Coliseum that you're talking about, TJ, it was, it was a, uh, an opportunity to move the team a necessity to move the team. And he really did something. Then there was an injury to Kellen Moore and he was out for the year. And suddenly Dak was the backup quarterback. And there was a lot of controversy, a lot about whether they should go out and acquire another veteran quarterback because Romo was injury-plagued, injury-prone, and they thought, well, you don't want your choice to be your starting quarterback if something happens to Romo. And um, and they talked about Nick Foles and Jerry Jones in the conference before Moore got hurt. Uh, that we, we don't, we're not interested in Foles. We've got Kellen. And <laughs> then <laughs> Kellen got hurt. Uh, subsequently, Foles won a Super Bowl, but uh, so Dak became, at that point, the de facto uh, backup quarterback. And that first game of the preseason, you know, the way things are now, you're not going to start your starter. And so Romo wasn't going to play. And uh, Prescott did some things in the Coliseum. And I believe it was the first game that the Rams played since their return to L.A. And there was a decent crowd, as you said, national TV. And he hit some he hit some passes that he hadn't hit. He hit a deep ball. He hit some sharp slants. And fair enough, it's preseason, but it was a it was a different thing than he had done. And I think f- from that point, uh, people said, "Well, maybe they got something." And then a week or two later, uh, they went to Seattle, and Romo hurt his back, and that was the end of that. Yeah, it's amazing, uh, starting with that preseason, what the run has been and, and what it obviously demonstrates, too. You don't have to always pick them in the first round for them to develop. Um, speak to this, because you you have covered the Cowboy quarterbacks, the lineage from Stallback, called their game, Stallback to Aikman and, and moving forward to Romo and now to Prescott. The development of, of Dak Prescott over the last couple of years and what it means to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and the pressure that comes with that, just speak to that, having having watched him go through it, as you have those others I named. You know, the pressure part of it is uh, something that just doesn't about him. And he is far from a finished product. He's uh, not what I would call an accomplished passer. There are still some forces, and there are still some things on the he doesn't see. But at this stage of Romo's career, he hadn't played yet. And uh, at this stage, Brady's career it was it was a backup, and uh, he is a and, and he is showing and he's really showing this year as he's gotten better and the stage has gotten bigger that that uh, the bigger the stage the better he's going to be. He's had phenomenal fourth quarter statistics, and he is uh, a guy who is still growing. He's growing into um, quarterback has to be but some of the things he's done in the last month or so even 
uh, you, you can see that growth happening right before your eyes. No doubt. Voice of Brad Sham with me for a couple of more moments. It is part of our Three Dog Thursday podcast. The Cowboys are the underdog against the Rams. We'll get to the prediction segment here coming up in a little bit. But, Brad, I'm, I'm loving reminiscing with him and talking Cowboys and playoffs. All right, I'm going to have fun with you. We do not rehearse this. You're going to confirm to the audience you don't know what I'm about to tell in terms of a story. You don't know, and it's good. It's a good way, yeah. but we, we don't rehearse yeah. these things. Yeah, so I, I, right. have, I have not, not that anybody ever knows yeah, absolutely. I'll yeah, confirm that. Uh, there we go. All right, so I am a little TJ. My father has gotten a, a, a schooling opportunity and a church job to come to the Dallas-Fort Worth area and be part of, of Southwest Theological Seminary. My father will end up hearing this interview at some point. Uh, so the family moves to Dallas. I was already a Cowboy fan. I'm a young TJ. I'm about eight years old. The Cowboys are playing the Rams. You know where I'm headed now. In the NFC Championship game. And Hollywood Henderson, in the old Cowboy blue that they always hated to wear under Tom Landry, picks a ball off of Vince Ferragamo and runs it in at the L.A. Coliseum. And little TJ is going berserk. What, what a memory that is longer ago than I want to admit. But what a memory when you start talking about these two teams and that game. I still remember that like it was yesterday or last week, Brad Sham. Hollywood Henderson on a pick six against the Rams in the playoffs to go to the Super Bowl, sir. Yeah, that that might have been uh, the the 1975 when they – because that was the year he was a rookie and he was part of the Dirty Dozen. And, uh, And they beat the Rams at the Coliseum. And they weren't supposed to make the playoffs, let alone go to the Super Bowl. And uh, it was one of the most, um, I'd say outside of this one, it might have been the most unusual uh, playoff runs that uh, the team has, has ever had. And, and Hollywood was one of those um, Gil Brandt picks that kind of came out of nowhere first round. Gil picked him from Langston College in Oklahoma. And that was, that's why Gil Brandt's in the Cowboys' ring of honor. Yeah, no doubt. So there, there are some moments in and around this game. Hey, one more. Everywhere you go, this is understood. The Cowboys play all over the country, whether they play uh, in the division in, in D.C. or New York or in Philadelphia, or if they play in places like London and Mexico, there are Cowboy fans. There were a ton there for that preseason game. We anticipate there will be a lot of Cowboy fans that will be at this. Are you still amazed all these years later how many Cowboy fans are everywhere all the time in these situations, Brad? Um, I, I don't think I'm amazed anymore, TJ. Uh, it's uh, it's impressive, and sometimes I'm surprised, and sometimes I think there are more Cowboy fans outside of DFW than inside DFW, unless they're winning a lot. Um, but I remember I was having a conversation with the Cowboys PR director today, Rich Dalrymple, the uh, last regular season game the Cowboys played at the LA Coliseum was in 1992 against the Los Angeles Raiders and they won the game uh, somewhat handily and it felt like there were 50,000 Cowboy fans in the building and uh, I remember walking up the tunnel with Tony Wise the offensive line coach who was saying to me after the game I don't know how we're doing this I can't believe we're doing this how are we coming on the road and winning these games and I said, Tony, you might have to admit at some point that you got a good team. And of course, they won. They won the first of their three Super Bowls in four years uh, that year. But they they have a strong presence out there. They always have. They trained in Thousand Oaks for many, 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 many years. Now they've trained in Oxnard for a whole bunch of years. And so I think it's a little more pronounced in the Los Angeles area than it is in some places. But they are 
They are the team that a lot of people love to love and hate. I'm more surprised if there's not a substantial uh, cowboy cheering section Saturday night than if there is. It probably will be. This man will be on the call on the Cowboys radio broadcast. Again, you can hear them over the air. You can hear them as well through Sirius XM, through TuneIn. As it's the Cowboys and the Rams in the divisional playoffs. Partner, thank you. I, I appreciate you popping on with me here on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Brad Sham, I appreciate it. Absolutely, TJ. Anytime. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. As we do roll on, I do call back in our senior handicapper, VegasInsider.com, Kevin Rogers, back with me to talk more about the NFL and these playoff games. Uh, Like you said at the beginning of the show, how could you go wrong last week? We are the show for the underdog. We are the show for the little guy, for the team that's not expected to win. And last week, all four of the road wildcard teams were underdogs. They all covered. Three of them won the game outright. So that starts off these uh, these playoffs of 2019. Now we get to the divisional round. Colts and Chiefs on Saturday, followed by Cowboys and Rams. Chargers and New England Sunday, followed by Eagles and New Orleans Saints in a late game. So, uh, Kevin, as we call you back in, we'll get to the playoff games in a couple of moments, the matchups here and the underdog predictions. Uh, okay, I, I'll, I'll point blank hit you with one right now. Who was the most impressive out of the four teams on the road last week? Yes, the Seahawks didn't win. The other three did win. What, was there one that stood out more than the others that was most impressive out of the underdogs last week? I am going to say the Chargers, just because they had to go cross-country, and I understand that out of the four quarterbacks that probably they faced the weakest quarterback out of the four, but still they did a great job defensively against Baltimore. And, you know, this is a team that, but it's all said and done. If they, even they lose this week, they'll be eight and two on the road this year. Like that's, it's just a crazy stat, you know, and, and everyone has their, their accolades and what they did. I mean, the Cowboys, I mean, they came back. I mean, I mean, it wasn't a, a big comeback, but I thought the Colts and Texans were two even teams, so it just the the result was a little surprising. And you know, for the Eagles, but for Nick Foles, for him to be four zero in the playoffs is just remarkable. And and you know, the way that game ended, it's unfair yep. that Cody Parkey took a lot of crap for that kick. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can look. You, you don't lose games in the final play. Like I, just, I I hate to put that out there, but they didn't lose. Be, like yes, it would have helped if he made the kick, but you got to make the stop on fourth down. You got to convert yep. the two point conversion. Like there are things there that could have happened for Chicago that they didn't need that kick at the end. Well, and I I like what Matt Nagy did right before that. The old John Madden philosophy. I've heard others talk about this too. That if you're in position to either tie or win the game with a field goal, you still want to take a chance at the end zone. And the Bears did that, trying to throw it long with Trubisky on the on the play before the field goal attempt. Uh, and Parkey's kick was tipped at the line of scrimmage, ends up hitting the upright, so the, the kick no good, and the Eagles still live the charm life as the Super Bowl champions. So uh, I, the, the, back to that Colts game, you were kind to the Texans. What was that no-show in the first quarter at home where they're behind 14 nothing immediately to the Colts? How much do we credit the Colts? How much do you have to question Bill O'Brien and the Texans, who have now had this happen to them two or three times, playing the first home game in the wild card re- weekend, and they get beat right on the home field and beaten decisively? 
Well, I mean, you got to get a lot of credit to the Colts. I mean, a team that started one and five, and and they were in the dumps, and and they came back, and you see how talented Andrew Luck is, and for them to win under Frank Reich, who you know has had success in his playing career with the Bills, he had the great, he engineered the greatest comeback ever. Apparently, right. Frank Reich owns Houston in football with the Texans <laughs> and the Oilers. Doesn't matter. But uh, you know, he was the he was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles last year, so he's been there. He's you know even if even if it's not as a head coach for years. He's still been around, you know, winning winning teams. So that's one thing. And you look at the Texans, and yeah, they end up having a nice season. But when you really break it down, I mean, I hate to put it like this, but who they beat? You know, they they just they caught fire when they had to catch fire. And the AFC South, where Jacksonville was a dog this year, where uh, you know they beat the Colts earlier in the season when the Colts were struggling, the Colts beat them in Houston later in the season. And, you know, Tennessee was uh, kind of up and down, so it really wasn't, you know, a great division. And, you know, I I just don't think, you know, the Texans, they caught the Cowboys early before they, they, you know, got on fire. They lost to Philadelphia late. They lost to the Giants early. Uh, I, I mean, Houston had a good season, but probably now after seeing it, you know, when it's all said and done, they were not going to be a team that was going to win the Super Bowl. They just didn't have it, you know. And, yeah, it's a bad way to end it. But then again, it always goes back to this. If they lost the way they lost, or they lost in the last second field goal, does it really matter? They're still out. Still an L. That is still an L. And the Colts are still alive after having been 1-5, won the, essentially the play-in game, the winner-take-all, go to the playoff game on the road. I give them a bunch of credit uh, on that Sunday night to win at Tennessee and have to come right back five and a half days later and play on on the road in Houston and win. Yes, they were familiar with the Texans, but give them uh, give them a bunch of credit. The uh, the uh, Indianapolis Colts for that win. So, uh, all right. So that's that's from last weekend. One more thing. I promise we're getting to underdog predictions with Kevin Rogers here in just a second. The coaching carousel spinning this week. Uh, you know that I am associated with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio broadcast. I'm pumped. A lot of the Tampa Bay area is pumped at the time that we're doing the interview because Bruce Arians has been hired, coaxed out of retirement for the one year to be the Buccaneers coach, filling out that coaching staff, looking forward to seeing what he can do after the success in Arizona. And pe- people don't realize he's got a 20-year lineage of working with quarterbacks and offense in the NFL. So this is going to be a lot of fun to see him put a staff together, free agency, et cetera, with the Bucks with their change. But we see Speaking of the Titans, we see Matt LaFleur, their offensive coordinator. He gets the job in Green Bay uh, to pair up with Aaron Rodgers. Cleveland elevates the offensive coordinator, Freddie Kitchens, and they name him the permanent head coach, and they say goodbye to Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, who, as the interim coach, only won five games down the stretch of the season. How about that? But didn't get to keep the interim job or even the defensive uh, coordinator job. Uh, Vic Fangio, the Bears defensive coordinator, gets the Broncos job. Uh, some of these some of these different ones are filling out here as the uh, week unfolds with the different moves. And what about the Arizona Cardinals going Cliff Kingsbury, fired by Texas Tech, hired as the offensive coordinator for USC, and then he ends up being the Cardinals head coach to go work with Josh Rosen. What do you make of the coaching moves? I guess let's start with Kingsbury. Your thought, your thought on him promoting to the NFL? It's really amazing how you have a losing record, your alma mater, never go to the conference championship and you get an NFL job. It doesn't matter which team it is, it's still an NFL job. You know, this isn't college where 
some jobs are better than others. And I understand the Patriots is a better job than the Cardinals, but right. you know, it's still an NFL job. You could turn it around, uh, you know, quickly. And here's my question, though. This is what I wonder with Cliff Kingsbury. Steve Wilkes got let go after one year, three and thirteen, and it really it felt like nobody could win with that team. So he really kind of got the shaft in that one. If Cliff Kingsbury goes three and thirteen or four and twelve, does he get fired after one year, like Steve Wilkes, or no? I know you put Probably that on not. social media. If it's a disastrous season. And and look, there's immediate precedence for this because remember the San Francisco 49ers were scrambling. Jim Harbaugh left. They pushed him out, whatever. Remember they elevated Jim Tom Sulo to be the head coach and he, he was sweating profusely and had, had like the sweatshirt on, uh, sweating all over the place and they were bad. Well, what did they do? They went right to Chip Kelly, who was available after being fired by the Eagles. And Chip Kelly was a disaster, too, in San Francisco for one year, and he was fired. So they fired, They essentially got rid of a coach three straight years. Is this what's going to happen in Arizona if they're bad? How much of this, your opinion, is the Cardinals saying this is like Sean McVay, who had never been an NFL coach, had never been an NFL head coach, had never been a head coach anywhere, at least Kingsbury, who's older, has been a head coach. He's our Sean McVay. We have Rams envy, if you will. This is McVay 2.0 for us. We're going to get the good-looking young guy. We'll put we'll put a defensive mind with him. We're going to go we're going to go with the McVay type hire. Do you buy that, Kevin? Well, I buy the fact, and, and I don't, if anybody disagrees, I'm sorry. I think you're wrong, and I, and I, don't, I don't normally say that. But, yeah, his looks mean something. You know, I know we say that, you know, maybe for women in Hollywood sure. or modeling or, or whatever, but you can't tell me that, that Cliff Kingsbury's looks don't have anything to do with him getting hired. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, just like Sean McVay's a good-looking guy, and it's somebody to have at the fit. You know, no disrespect to Wade Phillips, but you don't want him, you know, as the face <laughs> of the organization. Like, you know, you want to have – these guys, young guy, as, as you're the face of the team, you know, at the press conferences and on the sidelines, like that's, you know, what you want. Are you and saying look, that Andy Reid is not going to win a male modeling contest or Bill Belichick or one of those, but Cliff Kingsbury might? I think that is what you're saying. Continue. Yeah, I understand. I, I, yes, I am saying that. Uh, but, but, but look, in all seriousness, if he ends up winning with the Cardinals or at least makes them more competitive, then okay. Like, that's fine. No one's saying he's going to my question is, if it's a disaster, what do you do? I mean, if he ends up winning eight games next year, that's a great turnaround, and he can end up, you know, Sean McVay turned around the Rams, you know? But my, also, my other uh, caveat with Sean McVay is, if they lose to the Cowboys this weekend, that's 0-2 in the playoffs at home. So how much of a genius are you if you can't win a home game in the playoffs? You know, that you really haven't proven anything, you know, to be honest with you. Not, you haven't even won a playoff game. I mean, Jason Garrett will have had two playoff wins in two weeks, but Back to the point that I think that these coaches or these teams are trying to not bring in the recycled coaches. Bruce Arians not a recycled coach. Like that's not. I don't look at Tampa Bay bringing him in as a recycled guy. He he actually proved himself in Indianapolis first when he was in for Chuck Pagano when Chuck Pagano yep. was sick and Arians did a great job and then he got a job in Arizona so he got his own team. He was there had success and then he stepped away and now he's coming back. But, you know, if you're the Buccaneers, wouldn't you rather have Bruce Arians and someone that's a coordinator don't really know much about? And that's what the Dolphins have dealt with over the years, bringing in someone without any prior head coaching experience. You say, okay, I don't know what I'm getting at. You know what you get from Arians. Like, you know that he's got the resume. So you should be excited about that. These other teams are, I don't say they're reaching, but they're taking chances. Like, they really are hoping. And I'll say this. Hit. Look, I'll own up to this here on Three Dog Thursday as we rock along. I promise we got picks on the divisional games coming in just a second. 
I, I have my hand up. I did. I doubted Sean McVay and said, what are the Rams doing? He's 32 years old. He's never been a head coach. How are you going to, what I said earlier, how are you going to command 28, 30, 32-year-old multimillionaires? They knew what they were doing in L.A. They knew that putting Wade Phillips, a grizzled veteran, in charge of the defense to help mentor also McVay on how to coach and how to handle these guys – was the right mix. And maybe that's what the Cardinals are going to do. A, a, a crusty veteran defensive coach may help Kingsbury. So I, I, I will own up to the fact that I doubted McVay would have success. But in two years, he's had success. I just, here with Kingsbury, you wonder, he's, is he going to try the whole shotgun 90% of the time, five wide, four wide, five wide, over and over again, 80, 90% of the time? And, and what happens, like you say, if they win one or two football games doing it? Then, then what? Because that's what he knows. That's who he is. That's the offense uh, that he has. Let's uh, let's. If I put the under over for the Cardinals right now in January, without knowing any of their free agents or any of their draft, if I put their under over, let's say at four and a half wins, are you taking over that? With this Kingsbury-Rosen tandem, not knowing who the defensive coach is, are you going to go under that? Under that or over that if I say four and a half? What would you say? I mean, I'd have to just say over just because you'd think they'd get better. But if you look back at it, they won three games this year. Yep, They beat San Francisco twice in two games. They probably should have lost. They beat Green Bay at Lambeau in a close game. that There was no convincing wins at all. So it's not like saying, like, oh, you know, they had some nice wins, but, you know, they lost. Like, they, they could have been 0-16. You know, that, that's what he's going into. And you got rid of the coach after one year where, you know, again, if, if Kingsbury goes 8-8 eight and eight ne- next year, and you say maybe Steve Wilkes wasn't that great. You know, you can say that. But if it's the same record again, you know, don't blame the coach if the talent stinks. Well, the coaches ultimately get sacrificed. We saw a lot of those. And then we see the hirings that are all – going on and at the moment while Kevin and I are talking this could change as as the week unfolds here and we head to the weekend there are three spots still remaining for the Jets the Dolphins and the Bengals there are some interesting names still sitting out there the former Dolphins coach Adam Gase has interviewed the former Packers coach Mike McCarthy has interviewed are some of these assistants that are involved in the playoffs going to get in the mix is there someone else that gets in the mix we'll find out uh, there on the on the coaching. All right, enough on the coaching carousel. Let's get to the games. Again, you and I both had the Seahawks last week. I had the Chargers on Sunday. I loved them taking on uh, Lamar Jackson, inexperienced at quarterback there against the Ravens. So we were three for three combined on the underdogs. I'll let you tee it up first. You have the buffet in front of you. Uh, which game do you like here? Uh, give me one. Go ahead. Well, I will say first that I don't believe all the underdogs will cover again. I just can't see that. I, I think that you're going to get one or two maybe favorite blowouts. I don't know which one they're going to be. But I got to think that they're going to come back around. But with that being said, out of all the underdogs this weekend, the only one I, I really like is the Eagles against the Saints. And, and I took the Eagles against the Saints a few months ago on the show, and the Eagles lost by 40 points. Yes, they did. But – Here's what. Here's a couple things that I think that the Eagles have in their favor. Number one, again, house money. Like they lose, so what? They won their championship. The Saints, thirteen and three. The pressure is on them. They have the home field. They haven't had a first round bye. This is interesting. They haven't had a first round bye in I think ten years. Or is it, when is they, it the, the last Super Bowl year? They won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So 
this is a new, this is, you know, sort of new, for, not for like Drew Brees, but, you know, for the team to have that extra rest. They have not played a meaningful game. Well, they played one game at the Superdome that's been meaningful in the last five weeks, and that was the Steeler game that they could have lost. That I feel like they've been on cruise control for the last few weeks. And, you know, it's hard to see, you know, just to turn it back on where the Eagles are coming off this big win against Chicago, a game that they probably should have lost. And now they're like, okay, let's keep on going. And, oh, by the way, we lost by 40 points to this team last time. So we're going to be motivated against them. And Nick Foles didn't play in that game. That was Carson Wentz. So we'll see what Foles can do, the Foles magic, if it works again. I just think that the Eagles, that they have everything in their favor where the Saints have got to kind of ramp it up again and maybe asking too much for them. All right, a couple of other items here. Foles, as you mentioned, unbeaten now, 4-0 in the playoffs. Um, and so there, there's and there's something to be said. I mean, look, he led the game-winning drive, as it turns out, at Soldier Field against the Bears' defense to win that uh, wild-card game. So give him a lot of credit there. So is there really a controversy brewing again here that if he plays well and they somehow win this game, you can make the argument that maybe Carson Wentz is the guy they should be looking at trading instead of getting rid of Nick Foles when you're winning postseason games. Um, and how about this for a stat? Uh, I do I do have this verified now. So the the Saints blew out the Philadelphia Eagles back earlier during the regular season. You made reference of these two teams playing on November the 18th. It was a 48-7 to blowout win by New Orleans in the same side at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. So now they rematch in the playoffs. It is the first time since the 2010 NFL playoffs where a team is rematching an opponent that they beat by 40 or more that year, it was the New England Patriots. You know where I'm headed, Kevin Rogers, defeating the New York Jets, Rex Ryan, uh, Mark Sanchez, the Sanchez, and the Jets. And the Jets avenged the regular season 40-point defeat, upsetting the Patriots in New England in the 2010 playoffs. So you're taking the Eagles for Three Dog Thursday purposes. There is some precedence here for the Eagles to at least keep it close, if not win the game. How about that? Some even some 2010 reference uh, at that recent that a team has overcome a 40 point blowout in a rematch to, in that case, the Jets to win the game. Uh, pretty wild. Uh, do you do you buy this whole thing? I mean, the argument right now in Philadelphia is ride the hot hand with Foles here, and if Foles keeps winning, that he may be the long-term guy in Philadelphia coming off of this game. It's tough. It really is, because if Carson Wentz has failed in the playoffs, then you can say, oh, maybe Foles is the guy, but he hasn't had that opportunity. And Wentz, last year, we don't know if he would have won the Super Bowl, if he was healthy, and he's and he wasn't That's as right. good this year. It, it's a hard argument. Like, you don't want to give up on the guy. But, I mean, right now you ride Foles. But, you know, I, I don't want to put it like this because quarterback is a different position. But, you know, is Nick Foles turning into Robert Ory? You know, where he's, you know, hitting these big <laughs> shots, these big-time things. But, really, he's just a guy. He's a but role player. In these right. big, yeah, like that's kind of what it is. So that's what you wonder. And not to say if they get blown out this week that, oh, well, he's not that good anyway. He still won the Super Bowl, won another road playoff game. But it's an interesting discussion just because Wentz, it's like an incomplete what he has. Like he doesn't have a, a C or a D or an F in the playoffs. It's incomplete. He hasn't had a chance. So that's where it, it's it's a tough one. It really is. All right. So that is the game that you are taking on Three Dog Thursday. 
We got to come up with three of them. I like two of them in this instance. I'm going to go right off the bat to the Saturday leadoff game here. Indianapolis and Kansas City. The uh, the Colts now have won 10 of their last 11 games going back into the regular season and now with the wild card weekend win in uh, Houston. I mean, look, uh, the Chiefs, what to expect? Because they've been good at times under Andy Reid in the first playoff game. They beat the Texans badly one year in the first playoff game. But then last year in the divisional round, uh, or actually in the wild card round, lost to Marcus Mariota and the Titans at home. There are a lot of eyeballs on whether Andy Reid is one of those coaches right now that can only get you so far, can't win in the playoffs. I think this is a close game. I mean, Kansas City may end up winning by a field goal. I'm going to take the the five and a half points. Um, again, Andrew Luck rebuilt. Shoulder looks good. Indianapolis defense looks good. I know Mahomes has got the the tremendous arm and all the skill position players, but I think Indy's defense holds it tight. Kevin, I'm going to take the Colts here. Uh, to you, if if Andy Reid, we said this la- we've su- we said this last week about Jason Garrett. If Andy Reid blows this game, if they lose at home, is he in trouble as the Kansas City head coach? Do you buy that, Kevin? I don't think so. I think it's unfair. You know, I mean, who's going to be a better option? That, that's what I, I say. Like he's taking them this far. He has a franchise quarterback right now. You know, they lose that game last year to Tennessee where they were – I mean, what's worse, having a 21-3 to lead and losing or what happened to the Texans where you just don't even show up? You know, which one is worse in a sense that you had the big lead or, you know, you, you have no effort at all that you show in the playoff game? So it, I guess it all depends on how it happens if they were to lose. But I just don't see where bringing in another coordinator for the Chiefs is going to make that big of a difference. Yeah, and there are a lot of there are a lot of people that would be clamoring uh, fix the defense. I know Bob Sutton, the defensive coordinator, is under some fire for the struggles they've had. Let's see if the Colts are able to run the ball, put it on the Chiefs' defense. Maybe the Chiefs roll them, but I think Indianapolis keeps this game close. So I will take them. I will take the five and a half points for Three Dog Thursday. And we've already been talking about the Cowboys and the Rams. Uh, again, this is the Saturday night game at the Coliseum. You mentioned earlier, you made reference to that McVeigh and the Rams lost last year in the wild card round at home to the Atlanta Falcons. The underdogs had a big wild card weekend last year. Now the Cowboys off that win over Seattle. There's something to be said for having won a game last week and having some momentum. Dak Prescott, uh, great with both his arm and his wheels last week against Seattle. I don't know that the Cowboys win this game, but I think they're good enough defensively. They will keep it close. Will the Rams have their edge here, having had a week off? You were talking about that with the Saints a couple of moments ago. I I think this is a close game. I will gladly take the seven points. I will take the Dallas Cowboys, who may very well win this game at the Coliseum. Give me Dallas and the seven to round out our Three Dog Thursday predictions. I'll take the two Saturday underdogs here on on Three Dog Thursday with Ezekiel Elliott running it. How healthy is Todd Gurley? I mean, Kevin, we don't know that right now. He hasn't played the last two regular season games and last week off. How good is he going to be? How I mean, he should be fresh, but how healthy is he? Can he take a hit on that leg if it happens again? That's an unknown. I'll take the Cowboys. I'll take the Cowboys and the seven points here in this one for Three Dog Thursday purposes. Uh, we left alone the Chargers-New England game. Patriots, the only team undefeated at home the entire season. They come in 8-0 and playing this playoff game. Uh, Tom Brady has never lost to Phillip Rivers. Regular season or in the playoffs, I just I can't see the Chargers winning two weeks in a row on the road. And you're not you're obviously not taking the Chargers for Three Dog Thursday. 
We, we like New England as the home team here, yes? I mean, uh, until otherwise. Brady, Belichick, the Patriots at home, yes? It, it's it really, it feels like an amazing, I don't want to say, I don't know if disrespect's the right word, or we're just forgetting about the Patriots. You know, the Chargers have had a great season, but for them to go east to Baltimore, go home, go back east again to New England against the Patriots team that's rested, they've had success in the playoffs in the AFC over the years, they haven't lost a home game yet. I mean, I just find it amazing that, you know, so many people are jumping on the Chargers and, and not giving the Patriots, you know, a chance here. Yep, and New England is a four-point favorite in this matchup. And again, remember they remember the year the Chargers had LaDainian Tomlinson, Marty Schottenheimer, the coach? They were 14-2 and in the regular season. And who beat them in the divisional round in San Diego? Belichick, Brady, and the New England Patriots. So... Uh, we're not we're not going against the evil empire here in the, in this game. I mean, uh, uh, again, don't you go you go against those guys at your own risk. I know I made reference to a Jets upset in the playoffs. The upsets are few and far between on stopping New England, especially with home field advantage. Let's see how it plays out there for uh, that matchup coming Sunday in the early game in Foxborough. All right, there we go. There are underdog picks. We'll go over them again in a second. Right now, Kevin Rogers is going to tell you more about the Vegas Insider and where they can find out great information on these playoff games and much more. Tell them about the site, Kevin. Yeah, and our college football is in the books, but we still have plenty going on with the divisional playoffs this weekend, followed by the conference championships followed by the Super Bowl, so still a lot to go for the NFL. College basketball heating up right now. Conference action is underway. NBA rolling along, NHL rolling along. So still plenty to look at for 2019, even though college football is all finished for the – or for 2018, but we're right. nine months away from college football for 19. But uh, still a lot going on at Vegas Insider. Check us out. Check out our free odds. You can find all the articles there for every sport that you need. And you can check us out on Twitter as well at TwitBI. There you go. And by the way, we will talk a lot of college basketball moving forward now because next week, after this divisional round, Kevin, we only have the two conference championship games, AFC and NFC title games. Then we'll take a week off from football. There will be no football, and then we'll have the Super Bowl. So lots of college hoops coming next week. I'm going to pop quiz them. I bet you know this, but I'm just going to pop quiz. I didn't prepare you for this. Three unbeaten college teams right now at the top. I'll even give you two of them. They are Michigan uh, at the top. Oh, and I lost one of them off the top of my head. Uh, but uh, you know, there's there's different college teams that are right now unbeaten. One of them is the Houston Cougars in the American Athletic Conference. Now they may lose during the week while you're hearing us on Three Dog Thursday. How good is Michigan? We, uh, how good is Houston at the top of the college ranks? Uh, we know how good Duke is. What about Tennessee? Uh, some of these other teams that uh, that come popping in. So yes. Uh, uh, Virginia is the other one, by the way. They got the win over Florida State over the weekend in the ACC. Uh, again, one of these teams may take a loss, and you're hearing us now on Three Dog Thursday. But Virginia, Michigan, and the Houston Cougars are the three unbeatens that are up the top of college basketball. So I can't wait to talk more and more college hoops, starting with next week and heading on through February and March and March Madness. That's what this show will morph into as we as we wind down the NFL. I'm anxious to talk some college basketball, but they can read more about it, find out more of the great information on VegasInsider.com right now with the college basketball as well, right? Yep, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's really a fun time. I know everyone loves March Madness, but I think this is a really great time. January and February with all the conference action, there's so much going on. So many opportunities to win every single day. And I think that uh, 
that is a really fun part of it. So uh, so it's underway now. And yeah. you can definitely check it out now if you're a big college basketball fan. Go to uh, Vegas Insider. Follow them at TwitVI. Follow Kevin at VI Rogers for Vegas Insider at VI Rogers. Again, Kevin likes the Philadelphia Eagles in that Sunday game with the Saints. I'll take the two Saturday teams to cover. I don't know if both win or one of them wins. Colts and Cowboys, I will take them both as the road teams as part of Three Dog Thursday. Kevin, enjoy all the football. We look forward. We will know the final four teams, the conference championship matchup teams, this time next week. Enjoy all the games. We appreciate it, as always, on Three Dog Thursday. All right. Thank you, TJ. There is Kevin Rogers. And my thanks also to Brad Sham, the voice of the Dallas Cowboys, with me as well. He'll be calling that game on Radio Cowboys and Rams coming up on Saturday night in the NFC title game. Great to tell some stories with Brad Sham and talk Cowboys football. And we thank you for being with us as well here as part of the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. Good luck to the NFL underdogs this weekend. Will it be four for four? Not likely, but let's see what happens with those underdogs this weekend. We'll talk about it next week here on Three Dog Thursday. Bye. This is a We've Seen That Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Lay some things on me. All right, go. Yeah, he he damaged some ligaments in his leg during the filming of the scenes in the woods, (laughs) and he refused to do surgery so that his character would keep that limp. Right. And that limp was in every subsequent scene when you see him running. Right. Right. So that's something kind of cool. Okay. The wrecked the, the train and the bus is a tourist attraction where it was filmed. And it was not in Chicago. It was in Dillsboro, North Carolina. You got to love that. So, I've never I've never been to Dillsboro, but it definitely uh, has the feel of the mountains of of Tennessee, of North Carolina, of Virginia, of that part of the country. So when you say that, that's that's believable that it could be in that kind of setting. Exactly. One hundred percent. I mean, then that that scene was just. So awesome, especially back then. You know, I mean, with all the CGI and stuff we have now. So here's what we got. Julianne Moore, we mentioned she was listed really high in the cast, and she seemed like she would have a bigger part for that. Turns out she originally had a bigger role in the film, even after she exposes um, Harrison Ford's character, and that Kimball actually sought her out for help afterwards, and he eventually fell in love with her. The scenes were filmed and deleted from the final cut because of the fact that it would have messed up the story with him being so obsessed with finding out who killed his wife that he was on someone else. So really the the writers and the filmmakers wanted Gerard to have a humanistic side and even have a love life at the end. Kimball Kimball. fell in love with Julianne Moore, not Gerard. All right, so I'm I'm thoroughly confused now. So Kimball, okay, let, let me read it again. K- Kimball not only raiders his life to prove his innocence, but now is going to find love again through the hospital. I got you. Right, I'm gonna read this. He, her character had a bigger role after she exposed Kimball. He was he sought her out afterwards, asking for help, and eventually fell in love with her. We've seen that with T.J. Reeves and Jay Betzel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.